The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this Friday, October 7, 2016 edition of The Sheila Zielinski Show. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast today. I broadcast here on weekdays, that's Monday to Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on WINB and WWCR. And of course, for more ways to listen, simply go to WeekendVigilante.com and go to the listen page. And of course, there's so many ways to listen to the show, including the live daily show at 6 p.m. Eastern on MixLR. Do check out those various ways, including the customized app for smartphones and Android. And as well, don't forget to add me on social media. Those icons are at the top of the website as well. Well, I want to draw your attention to some alerts on Steve Quell's website. I want you to read the October 6th alerts. If you have not done so, you need to go and look at those. The red screen alert, that in particular... Go to stevequail.com, go to the Q alerts towards the top, go read those. Things are getting crazy, to say the least. I coined a phrase a while ago, Caligula-level craziness, and now even that doesn't describe what's going on. It's just getting to be total twilight zone. And here to weigh in on all of this insanity unfolding around us is... My guest today, it is the one and only Pastor David Lankford from The Voice of Evangelism. He's a good friend of the show, and it is an honor to have him talk about what is going on. Pastor David Langford, welcome to the program, sir. It's a pleasure. Thank you so very much for having me on again, Sheila. It's a great joy to always be with you and your listeners and to share the unsearchable riches of Christ our Lord. Amen. It's interesting, Pastor, because I was looking at some pretty crazy headlines. 40 million Russians, I looked on, it was an actual Russian, their Department of Defense said that they were having a big drill where their citizens were going into a bunker for actually a few days. There's rumors and rumblings of war. It reminds me of the scripture. Militaries are deploying all sorts of tactical systems. We've got a prominent Iranian official threatening the West with 9 million fighters that could be deployed threatening us. If we don't have Russians threatening us, we have evil clowns threatening us. I actually had a Facebook post. I said we got evil clowns terrorizing the streets, a crooked villain running for president with Two-Face the attorney running mate. What is this, Gotham City? You know, I feel like I'm in a bad episode of a Batman movie. But, but Pastor, you know, if it wasn't so absolutely tragic, this thing would be comical. It's just so, it's like all hell has broken loose here. Is there any chance, you know, I think about Nineveh, is there any more chance? Are we past the point of return here? Well, first of all, you alluded to Matthew 24, 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you be not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. These things, these events, uh, regretfully and sad to say, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So just because we have a a third nuclear world war does not mean we're at the end. Right. That's one of the grave tragedies and and people misunderstanding the Word of God. I believe out of this third world war, Albert Pike, that's what he said. The third world war would be Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all three fighting each other. That's really where we are right now. So I believe it will be out of the ruins of this third world war that the Antichrist will arise and that's why we know we're getting closer to that threshold. Dr. Henry Spake, one of the founding fathers back in the 40s, declared we have too many committees making too many decisions. We need one man, whether he be sent from God or the devil, to rule the world. Well, he was prophesying the Antichrist. I said the other day, a quarter of a century ago, we heard the term New World Order in 1991. So it doesn't happen overnight. It is a process of coming to fruition. So when George Herbert Walker Bush used that term 25 years ago this year, look where we are now from then. No one had ever heard that terminology. 
No one had embraced that type of terminology, but yet he brought it to light. And it had been nearly 50 years since Henry Spake made that statement that we need a man to rule the world, whether he be of God or the devil. We need this person. So we're, we're, we're coming down the pike. We're getting there. But I've, I've come to understand, you know, God has a certain time, as you've heard me allude to, chronos and karios, the two Greek words, chronos, is the succession of time, one, two, three, four, five, and karios is a divine appointed time when foreordained events must come to pass. So the chronos gets us to the karios. When we get to the karios, something has to take place because it is foreordained, it cannot be mitigated, it cannot be lessened, it has to come to fruition because we've reached that threshold, that point, Galatians 4.4, 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So it took 4,000 years for that to actually come to fruition from Genesis 3.15, when he said to the devil, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And different things happen at different times and different places. So we know this is coming. The last point of your question there, can this thing be turned around? Well, sure it can for the believer. And the reason I say that is Romans 5 and 5. Paul said, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And what that simply means is, because of God's divine presence abiding in my heart, I can never lose hope. I may become helpless, but I can never lose utter hope because the Spirit of God in me will just not let me totally collapse, capitulate, surrender, give up, say, all hope is gone. You know, we find that in the storm Eurocladon in Acts chapter 27, uh, verse 20, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But then the Bible said, there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, that must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So though they had lost hope, Paul never lost hope, because the angel of God stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, there shall be no loss of any man's life, but of the ship. And so God is just in the saving business. He doesn't care about the ship, the cargo, the lading. Our government, our politicians, that's useless refuse as far as God is concerned. It's garbage. Uh, God is just concerned about the souls of men. And that's why you're going to continue to witness the death of denominations, the death of religion, in the sense of people who really walk with God. We're witnessing an explosion of religion, but I hear people all the time say they're Christians. But then five minutes later, they're cursing and swearing and drinking and you name it, they're doing it. So they're just Christian in name only not in the spirit of Christ. But I, I, I have hope to the very end, because God is still in control of this nation. No matter who becomes the president, God is still in control. Well said. You were kind of talking there about Bush's New World Order speech. I was thinking about Bush throwing his support behind good old crooked Hillary. You know, I heard a, well, I call them clown news network. We could call them commie news network. CNN, <laughs> these little talking bobbleheads this morning said, Hillary Clinton, being the Christian that she is, I thought, oh, they don't even try to hide their lies anymore, do they? No, you know, and uh, she talks about her Methodist faith. Well, the <laughs> word Methodist comes from the word method, the methodology in which they worked and served God. Uh, she has one method, lying, cheating, conniving, stealing. She's of her father, the devil. Yeah. She does not bear the fruit of John Wesley or, or any of those great men of God. Uh, they would all tell her she's going straight to hell unless she repents. They wouldn't be politically correct. They wouldn't pull any punches. The, those great men of God would be like John the Baptist when he told Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, Philip. And, of course, he had him murdered because uh, Herodias obviously had a play in the middle from both ends with her daughter, Salome, and she coaxed her because she knew that Herod would make an appeal that she could have anything, and so she set that up. And so when Herod asked Salome what she wanted, her mom had already told her, you know, John the Baptist had on the charge. And I was reading 
the other night about that, and uh, his name slips my mind. The fourth century theologian uh, was talking about how evil that Herodias was, that when they brought John the Baptist's head on a charger, she pulled his tongue out of his mouth and drove a wooden knife or fork through it because she was killing the tongue or trying to destroy the tongue that was telling the truth that she was living in adultery. And, and I find that amazing that that's what people like Hillary Clinton do. They want to kill the truth and destroy it uh, in every way that they possibly can. But telling the truth can cost you your life because it cost John the Baptist his life. Well, yeah, and it's almost like, what does Paul say there in the scripture? I tell you the truth, I become your enemy. Yeah, she's got some methods, all right. But what I think is, you know, you see her having these coughing fits and wobbling around and getting thrown in a van. I It actually kind of reminds me of the demons at the Gadarenes. I think she's manifesting her demons, you know, coughing, spitting, puking, vomiting, choking. When I look at the way good old Jezebel is manifesting her demons, it's pretty clear to me what's happening. Well, it's interesting that you would mention that because I mentioned that some weeks back about the the demons that came out of the man of the Gadarenes. They they asked the Lord to suffer them to go into the swine. And of course, he, he suffered them to go into the swine. And then it says they ran down the steep mountain into the sea and they choked themselves. And the word choke there in the Greek literally means to grab someone by the throat and to literally throttle them down. It can also mean to drown, but I just found it amazing that it said, and they were choked in the sea and not drowned. And I believe that I believe that's a manifestation of a demon in her life. And as long as she is narcoticized or, or whatever kind of psychotropic drug she's on, it keeps those demons at bay. And once that medication wears off, you see that one commercial where she's calling people a basket of deplorables, yeah. but yet she seems to be sedated if you watch her demeanor. Then the commercial where she says, why aren't I 50 points ahead? That demon entity is very boisterous, very vocal, not subdued, because she is not sedated. Revelation 9 and 21, they repented not of their sorceries. And, of course, you know very well the word there in the sorcery in the Greek is pharmakia, we get our English word pharmacy, and we country people call it a drugstore. And that's one of the great proliferations in America is drugs. And so I believe those drugs that they're giving her keeps her sedated, whether it's because of Parkinson's disease or a cocktail of drugs uh, to mitigate, to ameliorate her, her physicality and uh, keep it subdued. But those demons are still there, and they when they're allowed to, will manifest themselves. And I, I would love to see that actually in a debate, uh, the, the <laughs> demoniac begin to manifest itself. Well, I think it's coming. You know, there's a lot of talk that she's a high-level coven witch. And what do I say to that? I suffer the witch not to live. Did you ever think, though, Pastor, I mean, you're kind of well-known for saying woe unto them, calling good evil and evil good. I mean, it's just like everything evil is acceptable. True evil is really cleverly masked and packaged and presented nowadays kind of behind this facade of normalcy. And it's for some reason, it's totally undetectable to the spiritually undiscerning. And obviously, we know the word is a discerner. No one seems to be really pressing into their word. I mean, did you ever think that when you look back on your lifetime, your generation, that you'd ever see the absolute acquiescence to this demonic agenda, though? Well, this is the results, Psalms 10, for the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. So these people never incorporate God in their thought process. Thus, Romans 1, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So when you don't retain a God consciousness, the only consciousness that you have then is one of evil. And so everything that spews out of you is from the root of evil. After Lucifer fell, he then called him the devil. Well, you take the D off of devil, and what do you have? Evil. And so he is the personification of evil, and those who follow him are evil in their deeds and in their works. And we witness that, and these people have sold their souls. You, you cannot do the things they do and lie 
and the duplicitous deeds and the deception and the chicanery, the trickery, you know, it literally begs description uh, as you witness. You know, I told somebody the other day, I said, isn't it amazing how me as a Christian, you as a Christian can listen to the same person and a non-Christian says, I just don't see anything wrong with that. Mm. And you and I are literally abhorred by what we're witnessing and say, but can't you see? Can't you see how evil this is? And it's like, no, I, I just don't see it, you know? And that's because God has given them over to a reprobate mind, and they're not able to see. That was, that was the blindness, one of the mysteries that Isaiah wrote about. Jesus alluded to it in uh, Matthew thirteen fifteen. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. And then he went on to say to the disciples in the next verse, he said, Blessed are ye, blessed are ye, and your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. And uh, that was a mystery. And that mystery was for a parenthetical time, and it remains a mystery because Romans eleven twenty five blindness in part has happened unto Israel, until the fullest of the Gentiles be come in. So Isaiah prophesied about a mystery about Israel's blindness, but he didn't know the length and the breadth of their blindness, or the duration of their blindness would be a more correct term, the duration of it. But Paul understood the mystery and said, blindness in part has happened unto Israel until the fullest of the Gentiles be come in. So at the end of the Gentile dispensation, Israel's eyes will be reopened, and that will be at the second coming of Christ, because even the, the temple will be given to the Gentiles in Revelation chapter 11 until the time of the end. And that's why he told the angel to not measure the outer court, but the inner court, because it's been given over to the Gentiles. And so it will remain like that up to the second advent of Christ. And so that's how long their blindness will happen. And I don't glory in their blindness, but because of their blindness, you and I have been afforded the opportunity to come into the kingdom of God. Right. We mentioned the reprobate mind there. It's like a spiritual blindness, a hardness of the heart. Being turned over to a reprobate mind, not good. That's like a total abandonment. I mean, these people go so far in sin, they don't even like to retain God in their knowledge. And so what does God do? Well, he pretty much gives them what they want, doesn't he? Well, once you become a reprobate, you have no judgment. That's why the term is void of judgment. Right. You know, you can't tell your left hand from your right hand. You don't realize, well, just like Isaiah 5 and 20, they would call evil good and good evil, put light for darkness and darkness for light and bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. They cannot fathom. They just can't get it. I preached a message some years ago why some people will never get it. It's a stern message. It's a message of reproof and rebuke, but it's a truthful message because the truth is up to the very end, some people will never get it. And once they do figure it out, it'll be too late. You know, when he comes back on that great white stallion, he's clothed with the vesture dipped in blood, they're going to know who he is without doubt, King of kings and Lord of lords. But, of course, at that point in time, he's getting ready to give the, uh, the fowls of the air a great wedding feast and a great wedding banquet. The Lord said, you know, you're going to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the, the flesh of horses. I mean, he's getting ready to spread a table for all of those that are going to be slain at that great battle. And uh, you know, people want to read that. They can read that in uh, Revelation 19 and 18. That's what's going to take place. But it's too late at that point in time because you, you are the, you're being served up to the fowls of the air. Of course, the spirit of soul will live for eternity and go out lost without God and what a tragedy uh, when all they had to do was listen to the truth and then embrace it and accept Jesus as their Savior. You know, it's a one-way ticket to somewhere, one of two choices. And it, it's kind of like Joshua said, you know, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites. So it's pretty clear he's saying he's going to serve the Lord, his household. But I keep going back to that prophetic word you got. God gave you that word, acceleration. Are you surprised, Pastor David, with the speeding, I mean, the intensification just in the this year alone, this all-out frontal 
attack on the very things God hates, not just in our society, but, you know, the failure of a lot of his so-called Christians in name only to be obedient to his instruction. You know, it talks about the things God hates. One of those things is feet that run rapidly to evil. Now, you did an analogy, and I thought this was so good, and I think this would be good for the new listeners. You remember the analogy you did with the cup with the water running in it? It has no room for something else to be poured into it. Can you re-illustrate that? I thought that was just so brilliantly done. Well, you know, when you go to the sink and you have just had a cup of coffee or a glass of milk or whatever, and you turn the faucet on and you begin to fill that cup or that glass up and just let the water run out, no matter how hard you try to pour something else into the cup or the glass, it cannot get in there. You stand there try to pour coffee into your cup again, the coffee will never get in the cup because the water that you're running in there keeps pushing the coffee out, or any substance for that matter. And that's what it means to be spirit-filled. There's just not room for anything else to get into your life. And, uh, you know, the old cliche is true. You'll give the devil a toehold, and he'll take a mile. you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. And so, you know, that's why David said, my cup runneth over. That's, that's where I got that analogy. By reading that one day, I realized, I said, when your cup is running over, there is no way anything else can get in there. Mm. And so when we let our cups run over with the spirit of grace and the spirit of conviction, the spirit of God is, is multifaceted. And when you let the spirit of God and all of his different administrations and gifts et cetera, et cetera. Fill your heart. There just can't be room for anything, but let that um, spigot off and, and let the water quit running and, you know, take about an eighth of a cup of that water out. You can then put something else in there. And, of course, that's how we get contaminated spiritually, and anything is in its greatest strength at its purest form. The more pure we remain, the greater our strength remains in Christ. That's why we can become unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We can become steadfast and be like an anchor that doesn't move. Why? Because we are founded and rooted and grounded in the Word of God. You know, David said in Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, and because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. You remember the old gospel song, I shall not be moved? Yeah. Well, that's where that came from. You know, I will not be moved. 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, someone phoned me a few months ago and said there was a prophecy given that were going to be demons unleashed that the Christians would not be able to overcome. And I said very pointedly, I said, that's a false prophecy. Luke ten nineteen said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So the Holy Ghost is not going to give prophecies that are contrary to the Word of God. You know, Revelation twelve eleven. they overcame him. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony. So it doesn't matter what Satan unleashes. God has given us the power that we need to overcome whatever we're confronted with. That's why I said at the beginning of this program, I never lose hope, because God will not allow me to get into a place of hopelessness. The Spirit of God cannot lose hope. I mean, God is omniscient, omnipresent, and all-powerful. He's in control. You know, It doesn't matter to me, uh, in one sense, who's president of the United States. At the end of the day, it is what God has willed. It is what God has ordained. And I'm watching this situation very closely because I'm not so sure that if God is not using Trump as a type of Cyrus mm. in uh, Isaiah 44 and 45, because he, he made it clear concerning Cyrus. He said, though you do not know me, you don't even know who I am. I have taken your right hand. I have holding, uh, holding you up. And you're going to do what I will for you to do. And it was, it was not for his sake, Cyrus. It was for his people, Israel. You know, I don't want to use the term uh, an ulterior motive, but it was, in, in reality, another purpose by God. Matter of fact, it was prophesied, uh, most theologians believe, 150 to 200 years. If you go back to Second Chronicles 36, 
and read the last couple of verses in that chapter, that he brought Cyrus up then prior to Israel's captivity. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing the possibility of God doing something off the charts. Wouldn't it be amazing? I thought about this today. You know, in um, that 45th chapter there, he said, uh, I'm going to give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord thy God, which called thee by thy name, am the Lord God of Israel. Wouldn't it be unbelievable if Trump were to get into office and put an honest attorney general in the office? Oh, yeah. And all of this become exposed. Now, this would, would start a civil war, but it would be because the truth has been let out. Uh, Dyrus was the king of Medo, and Cyrus was the king of Persia. And so for that reason, you know, we're, we're in that <laughs> kind of scenario right now with the Islamic world, but God is the one that's controlling all of this, and if he were to give Donald Trump all the secrets of the darkness and the treasures of the secret places, if God were to suffer that to happen, there's no doubt it could cause a great civil war in this nation when all the truth comes out. Because I think that's one of the reasons Obama wants Hillary to come in to protect him and have another four years or possibly eight years if she were to go in to, to allow all this to go under the, the bridge and never be discovered, revealed, or made manifest. But God could, you know, this is why the Bible says in Galatians 6 and 7, this is what came to me, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever men soweth, that shall he also reap. They think they may be getting by right now. But see, God has the ability to reveal these things even after they're gone. You know, it's like with David and Bathsheba. You know, he did everything he could to cover his sins. And he thought it was all covered and it was taken care of and nothing was going to ever come of it. But God said, oh, no, no, and sent Nathan, the prophet, and gave him the analogy of a rich man stealing a poor man's lamb. And David's indignation rose up within him and said, the man will pay fourfold, and then we're going to kill the man. And Nathan said, thou art the man. And because he did not repent and make it right, God said, the sword will never leave your house. So that's why I never lose hope, because God, you know, just like the Red Sea, he can part the Red Sea on a, a moment's time. God can do anything, Sheila. God can reveal things, or he can conceal things. Mm. It's up to him to do it. And uh, I'm just sitting, waiting, and watching and say, Lord, what are you going to do? You know, my job is to fast, to pray, to preach the Word of God uncompromisingly. It's up to God to perform the miracles. I leave all the miracles to Him. Amen. Well, it actually, I was thinking as you were talking of two different scriptures on the one where it says, God laughs at the plans of the wicked. Was it Paul that alluded to the foolishness of God as greater than even the wisdom of men. It's almost, well, Absolutely. not that God is foolish. I'm not saying that, but you know what I mean, right? No, no, that's exactly what it says. It's just that if God were foolish, his foolishness is greater than all the wisdom that men could ever possess. That's how great and majestic that God is. If he were able to be foolish, which he's not foolish by no means. I mean, his wisdom, huh, his riches are unsearchable, Paul said. But if it were possible, then the very foolishness of God is greater than all of the wisdom of men put together. Of course, he talks about using the foolishness of preaching. Yeah. Preaching is a foolish thing, Paul said, but God uses it to save people. Yes, and it reminds me of that scripture, God is choosing the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Right. That, that no, the reason he does that is, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty nine is that no flesh should glory in his presence. So he, he takes the bragging rights away from every man <laughs> and does it his way. And then so no one gets the glory in anything but Christ. You know, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, Paul said, further on down in that chapter. So we glory in the Lord and not in what we do. But God, um, that's, that's why, as I said earlier, I, I never lose hope. As long as I have breath, as long as I have the Spirit of God residing in my heart— I just can't lose hope. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, we're not going to see some bad stuff. I, I know we're going to see a third world war. It, it has to come to pass. You know, you've got Ezekiel 37, 38, 39. The Word of God is going to be fulfilled. Everyone wants you to put a date, a time on it. 
I cannot do that. You cannot do that unless God gives you a divine revelation. But God has foretold these things are going to come to pass. The question always is, when? See, that's why we started off the program in uh, Matthew 24, 6, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must, must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Just because we see a third world war, we're not at the end. And people, regretfully, because they don't know their Bible, and they're listening to these very shallow preachers, you know, I heard a gentleman the other day say that the 24 elders was the church. I thought, you know, God's got so many numbers in the book of Revelation, he could clearly show the church if he wanted to, but those 24 elders are the 12 tribes of Israel, which names will be engraved on the gates of Pearl, and then the 12 apostles' names will be engraved on the 12 foundations. So that's not the church. See, that's part of the church. Part of the church is in heaven. Part of the church is on the earth. But because people don't know their Bible, you know, they're listening to these guys that are just rehashing the same old rhetorical jargon, and they really don't know what's going on. You know, they're only telling what they've heard. You know, they're only repeating what they've heard. I want to quote that, uh, Ephesians 3.15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So you've got part of the church already in heaven and part of the church in the earth. And it will be like that until the second advent. See? And, of course, we know the head leaders of the tribes of Israel are already deceased, and we know that the apostles are deceased. And the church is built upon the apostles, according to Ephesians 1 and 22. And so that's why Abraham had revelation knowledge, and he was looking for a city which hath foundations. What was he looking for? He's looking for New Jerusalem. This is before the Mosaic Law. So he's looking for this beautiful city that is to ultimately come, and uh, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Uh, but it says, and I said the 1 and 20, it's 2.20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's what the church is built upon, which a lot of those things are mysteries, and that's why they're important that we seek out the mysteries to understand the deeper things of God. Peter, First uh, Peter 1 and uh, 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what, or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, the apostles, did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. So even though the Spirit of God was in, like Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He's prophesying about this suffering Messiah, but he didn't understand it. That's why Peter said he foretold these prophecies, but they were searching, they were searching what manner of time, and they testified beforehand, but it was not revealed unto them but it was revealed unto us, the apostles. That's why the, the greatest message is the dispensation of grace, which was given to Paul the apostle. Uh, Galatians 1.10, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and so this was not a hand-me-down Judaism, legalistic, pharisaical law. It was a new revelation that had not yet been revealed to anyone. See, and this is why people in the church today are, are so shallow, because, you know, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, It is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Ephesians 3 and 5, Paul said, Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. And it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so some of this stuff, as I said, the prophets of old, they wrote about it, but they didn't understand it. You know, uh, one of the great scriptures, Psalm sixty-nine twenty, David said, Reproach hath broken my heart. Mm. I looked for something to take pity, but there was none. And I looked for comforters, but I found none. Well, he was prophesying of Jesus. 
Your reproach has broken my heart. He, you know, a lot of theologians believe he died of a broken heart. You know, and then when they drove the spear into his side, forthwith came blood and water. They burst the pericardium sac, the fluid that was around the heart. That's why water and blood came out. And reproach, the reproach, the sins of all of us was laid upon him. And David is talking about, that's a dual-fold prophecy we understand, about his own sufferings, but he's prophesying that he could find no one to comfort him. And when Christ was on the cross, there was, there was nobody, you know, Peter denied him and ran, and they all hid themselves for the sake of death. And uh, no man stood with him. What a, what a, what a tragedy. But, and he found no comforters either. So this is, this is why the church is, is missing so many things, because they're not, you know, in the Word. You, you know, you have to bathe your mind in the Word of God. Uh, that's why I'm writing this new book on the, the mystery of the church and the bride of Christ. You know, the Bible says explicitly that God formed Adam. He formed him like a potter out of clay, the earth. But it says he made Eve. He took a rib from Adam's side and he made her. And the word formed for Adam was to form him and fashion him out of the dust of the earth. But the word made in the Hebrew there says he built Eve. And this is the mystery. That's why the church is not the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, because Eve was all of Adam. She was not from the earth. She was not brought from, from some other place, but she was totally all of Adam. And that's the mystery of the oneness in Ephesians 5. You know, Paul said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That is a direct quote from the book of Genesis when God made the woman, and the, as I said, the, the Hebrew there means built, the woman, brought her unto Adam, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. And so Paul quoted that word for word. See, they're no more twain, but they're one flesh. And so this is the, this is the mystique, this is the mystery. And what did Jesus say? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So just as he built and made the woman, he's building the church. Ephesians 2.21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So I know that's a lot to throw at people <laughs> that quickly. But it's what the Lord has really laid on my heart right now, uh, personally, to seek the mysteries. You know, Jonathan Kahn just did a new book uh, about mysteries, 365, one every day. Uh, my wife is reading, uh, reading it right now. But uh, I'm going a little bit further and deeper uh, in, in the mysteries uh, because I want to understand the deep things of God. And um, this is why these things are called mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. For this mortal must put on immortality, and this corruptible must put on incorruption. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Some mysteries are easier to be understood than others. You know, salvation is a mystery. You know, when, when we gave our lives to the Lord, when we repented and said, God, we're sorry for our sins, save us, redeem us, forgive us, we didn't get a certificate. We didn't get an award. We didn't get a plaque. It's by faith. Well, that's a mystery. But, you know, I tell people it shows how misplaced our faith is because we say, I believe if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. That's eternal. That's eternity. But yet we grapple to believe God for daily bread. Or how will I get through next week? How will I pay my bills? So our faith is terribly misplaced that we can believe God for eternal things, yet we grapple for temporal things. And uh, I believe we're coming into a place and a stage in the church dispensation when all the rugs are going to be pulled out, and we're going to have to trust God as never before. David said in Psalm 7, verse 1, In thee, O Lord God, do I put my trust. Psalms 56, verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. We're told in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding, but in all of thy ways acknowledge the Lord, and he shall direct your, your paths. And, and so we say we trust God, but at the end of the day, do we really, really wholeheartedly trust him? You know, as I get older, he's really pressing me to trust him. 
Just trust me. You know, you've, you've been with people, or you brought a guest home, or you brought someone in, and, and they said, do you know where you're going? And you said, well, just trust me. You know, yeah. why? Because you know the outcome. You already know the outcome. You already know where you're going and how to get there. So you're telling them, just trust me. It's not arrogant. God's not arrogant. But he says, trust me, you know, because I know the way. I am the way. And, and so God is trying to teach me to trust him when, you know, it doesn't look so good, it doesn't look so well, because he is still in control. You remember when Lazarus died? Mm-hmm. His response, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. You see, Martha and Mary, he stinks by now. You know, this situation stinks. Had you come four days earlier, this wouldn't be such a stinking mess. But he had already said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. So he wanted them to understand. Martha said, I know in the last day he will rise. Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I, I got a little nugget the other day while I was on the radio live teaching, and I was talking about how the devil has the power to kill. And it hit me with such clarity. He has no power to resurrect. Why not? Because Jesus is the resurrection. Mm. He has the power to kill. Job's children were all killed by the devil. Many of Job's servants were killed. But see, the devil does not have resurrection power. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection. He's, I am the resurrection and the life. Like a, a illumination in my mind went off. I thought, my God, that's why he has never raised anybody from the dead, because only Jesus has resurrection power. Satan has power. In Hebrews 2.14, that through death he destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. But he doesn't have enough power to raise the dead. That is solely left in the hands of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive now forevermore and have the keys of death and of hell. Amen. That's Amen. powerful. Wow, that is powerful. Well, what is the estimated timeline, David, on your book? Tell the listeners. I am hoping to be done in about four weeks. I thought I would be done in two weeks. But as I got into this thing, God really began to illuminate my mind to things I have never seen before, and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper, and my knowledge is beginning to understand these things. And it's just like connecting the dots. You remember when we were little, they had the page and the coloring book. You got 45 or 50 dots, and you go from one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. and when you get done, you have a picture, then you color it. Well, that's kind of what's happening to me with this. I'm connecting the dots, and I'm designing a picture, and now we're starting to fill in the color and make it look right. Because uh, the finality, it will be about Israel. Uh, How did Israel ever become into a covenant relationship with God like a man and his wife in matrimony? was when he made covenant with Abraham. He didn't make a contract. The people have to understand this was before the Mosaic Law. And see, a covenant cannot be broken. See, that's why he, he is bound by the old covenant that he made with Abraham. Thus, Israel has to be brought in, has to be made a part of this end-time church body, see? And thus, he said in Ephesians 2.15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross and having slain the enmity thereby. So he's going to take those that were under the law and those that are under the grace and bring all of this together and tie it all together. And through his body, people got to remember, the church is his body, for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body. So the Jews and the Gentiles, in the end, will be made one, but that's not happened yet because Israel is still in blindness until the force of the Gentiles be coming. This is some of the mystery. Wow. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, talk in, over anyone's head. Uh, that's why i got to get it in writing so that people can understand the message here. Well, as you were talking, it was Colossians one twenty six came into my mind. It's like, I don't have the scripture handy, but it's it refers to the mystery which has been hidden from us in the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to the saints. So I think this is a very timely 
and very exciting book. And we're definitely going to be looking forward to that. And I'm sure, you know, the revelation that God's giving you is very much for this, a time such as this, right? I mean, what does it say in the scripture? You know, when you see all these things, look up for your redemption draws nigh. I mean, it's pretty incredibly crazy times, but pastor, I think it's exciting times too. Well, it's the most exciting times ever. Paul the Apostle would give anything to be here right now. Let me go back and let me witness as I penned all of this, and I'm watching it come to fruition. I'm telling you, as Paul said, the deep things of God, as you well said there in Colossians 1 and 26, the mysteries, and the, and the Bible is just full of them, especially in the New Testament. And we're not seeking out the mysteries. That's what God is putting in my spirit, to seek out the mysteries. The Greek word is mysterion. You, you've, you've heard that. Yep. And it's, it's something that's been concealed and been veiled, and now God is revealing, and it's like pulling a sheet. You know, when we see these uh, presentations, they have a sheet over the statue. And they have this great gathering, and nobody knows what it looks like until they pull the sheet off, and then everyone gets to see the statue. And they all, you know, are awed and Google-eyed over the statue. But once the veil comes off, then you're able to see, well, Israel has got a veil over their eyes. To this day, cannot see. My detractors and yours and pundits out there who will say, well, you know, the, the people over there, that's not the people of God. Well, you see, the truth is, I can't say that. No one can say that because Paul tells us plainly, Romans 9 and 6, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Ishmael was not the promised seed. Isaac was. So this is why they are Abraham's seed, John chapter 8, but they're not the promised seed, see? And so it's like wheat and tares. I don't know if Benjamin Netanyahu would be a wheat or a tare. He may not be the real Israel of God. He may be. I don't know. But Paul, see, Paul understood that mystery. That's why he said what he said. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Yeah. See? We cannot wait to get that book in our hand. We just We will lift Pastor Langford up in prayer that... God would reveal those deeper things. In the waning moments, I don't think there's a more fitting time when we see looming wars, all the stuff going on with Syria, Russia, Iran. Pastor, I think it would be very fitting if you would pray for the listeners. All of us, we'd stand in prayer together. If you would lead us in prayer, sir, that would be an honor. Amen. I want to give one, one verse of Scripture to encourage people. Psalms 41, verse 11. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. If you really love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might, God will not suffer the enemy to triumph over you. That doesn't mean you won't have battles, you won't have difficulties, but he will not suffer the enemy to triumph over you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have been able to share the unsearchable riches of Christ. We thank you for the clarity that the Holy Spirit of God gives unto us if we will seek your face instead of your hand. I pray for every listener tonight. I pray for every home, and I pray for every family. I pray for those who are distressed and profusely diswrought because of a circumstance or a situation. Maybe there's someone tonight that the spirit of bereavement has just taken hold of their lives and they're so broken, and they're so downtrodden. But, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, we lift them up before you tonight, Lord, because you can substitute that spouse. You can substitute anything, but nothing can ever substitute you, Lord. Thus we lean upon your rod and upon your staff, for they truly comfort us. And we pray tonight that goodness and mercy will follow us, Lord. When we look over our shoulder. We're not going to see the hordes and the hounds of hell, but we see goodness and we see mercy as they first follow behind us. And then the enemies are behind the goodness and the mercies of God. I pray for Sheila. I pray for her programs and her programming and her listeners. That God, you would use her to infuse the word of God and truth into their hearts and into their lives. Father, keep us all tonight in the hollow of your righteous hand, that no harm, no detriment, no loss would come upon us, Lord, or pervade our lives in any way. 
And Father God, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy. I don't want to be what the Bible said would happen in the last days, that people would be unthankful and people would be unholy, Lord. Help us to never become unthankful and never thanking you for what you've already done for us and what you're going to do for us. And Father, we just ask it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you for that very powerful prayer. Pastor Langford, thank you so much for your time. It was an honor. Please do come back and see us soon. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll be glad to do it. God bless you all. Thank you, Pastor. Folks, that was the voice of evangelism, Pastor David Langford, the one and only. Do check out his website at thevoiceofevangelism.com and his radio schedule as well. He's on WWCR. What an amazing man. What a powerhouse. What a prolific scriptorian, old school preacher. I'm telling you what, they don't make him like Pastor Langford anymore. We're just so blessed to have a preacher like that in these times, I'll tell you. Well, let's be lifting up all those in the so-called path of that Hurricane Matthew. Of course, now we've got Hurricane Nicole to contend with. Boy, I'll tell you what, my prayer group's been taken dominion over that hurricane. We want to be lifting those people in those areas up in our prayers. We believe and have faith that the damage will be minimal. Who knows what it could have done, but we have to believe and have faith that that damage will be minimal. I just want to let people know the Augusto Perez Conference, of course, there has been a lot of flight cancellations to Florida. So sadly, I'm not going to be able to be at the Augusto Prez event. Those of you that are going to be there, please do say hello to Augusto Prez for me. I'm so disappointed I will not be at that conference, but I certainly will be praying for it. Let's definitely hold Florida up in our prayers, and especially the Augusto Prez conference. Monday, the one and only Carla Butod from Texas. It's going to be a very good show, especially you ladies are going to want to listen It's going to be very powerful. And then Tuesday, Pastor John Terrell from Sacramento, California, part three of Soul Damage. You're not going to want to miss that. Have a very blessed weekend. And for my Canadian friends, happy Thanksgiving. We really should be giving thanks every single day. As Pastor Langford said, we want to be thankful. And I'm thankful for you, my audience. I have the best audience in the world, hands down. Have a blessed weekend. We'll see you Monday. Good night and God bless.